Network. We, the people, Congress shall make no law. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is Bullet Points 2A Talk Radio, brought to you by the United States Gun Club. And now, your host, Tony Ashcraft. appreciate you being here. We have a lot to cover on today's show. Uh, we'll get to the Chicago murder report in just a minute. Uh, but some of the things that we want to talk about today, uh, you know, recently the Houston Police Department lost one of their sergeants. Uh, he was killed in the line of duty. And Police Chief Art Acevedo of the Houston Police Department uh, thought that that officer's death would be a good opportunity to talk about gun control. And so we're going to talk about that story. And also, um, out in Virginia, you know, Virginia recently, the legislature has turned from red to blue. So they have a democratically controlled House and Senate. Of course, Ralph Northam is their governor out there. They're stirring up all kinds of anti-gun laws. Uh, the good folks out in the Commonwealth of Virginia are not taking it lying down. We'll tell you what's going on, what they're doing. Also, uh, Michael Bloomberg, godfather of uh, gun control, has recently thrown his hat into the presidential race, and he's got a gun plan that's going to that's gonna save us all. I'll tell you about what's going on with that, but let's get it kicked off with the Chicago murder report. Uh, now, this is as of December 9th, 2019, so so far in Chirac, number of people killed 440, Number of people shot and wounded, 2,150. That's your total shooting victims at 2,590. Total homicides of 487. That's a person shot every three hours and 10 minutes. And a person killed every 16 hours and 57 minutes. And in fact, just over the weekend, just over the past weekend in Chicago, there were two killed and 14 wounded. You know, I always say when I see these numbers, and I do these numbers every show, every week, so I always think, I look at the number of people wounded, and in this case, it's 2,150, and you got to think to yourself, all those people that were shot and wounded, the people doing the shooting were not shooting to wound those people, they wanted to kill them. So if every shot hit and killed its victim, there would be almost 2,600 people dead in Chicago instead of just uh, 500. I say just 500, like that's a low number. That's ridiculous. You know, Illinois is a good example. They have firearms ownership ID cards. They have universal background checks. They have waiting periods. They have all these ridiculous laws that the anti-gun left is telling us on the federal level uh, that's going to solve gun violence and, and solve all these gun problems. But it's just not, because the guns aren't violent. The people are violent. It's the criminals that we need to chase, not law-abiding citizens. It's a ridiculous argument from the other side. So when you guys are having the conversation, and you're talking to folks, and you point to Chicago, it's not just Chicago. I mean, be sure, you know, the state of Illinois is a good example. Again, uh, they have a lot of laws in place, and, and all of these are, you know, there's, an, there's a ban on assault weapons. There are uh, some counties that tax firearms and ammunition. So all these things that the anti-gun left keeps telling us is going to make a difference, they're all in place in Illinois. I mean, Illinois is a poster child for gun control, or I should say a poster child for the failure of gun control. So that just goes to show you that if you stack more laws on top of criminals, it's not going to help because they're already violating the law to begin with. It's just uh, it's a ridiculous situation, and I, I don't know... What about that example that's going on that the anti-gun left uh, just does not understand? Uh, well, let's get to some uh, some more news now. In the Houston area, the Houston Police Department recently came out and said that there has been an increase in weapons stolen from vehicles. And in fact, that number topped 2,000 as of October 2019. Now, that's a 21% increase from the same time last year. 
Now, a spokesperson for HPD says that thieves are typically targeting trucks that may have stickers on the back window that have to do with hunting or Second Amendment stuff because they figure that those are gun guys and they're going to have weapons in the truck. They're also following vehicles when they leave the gun range, hoping that they'll stop somewhere between the gun range and the house. And when they do, the thieves are taking the opportunity to break in the vehicle and steal the weapons. And there's another situation, too, where you kind of get stuck in a catch-22. You know, if you guys are like me, you're a concealed carry license holder, so you carry your gun to protect yourself. And that is your absolute right to do so, and I encourage everybody to do it. But what do you do when you're forced to leave your weapon in the car? So if you have to go into a post office, a government building, and really, you know, here in Texas... There's, there's two laws on the books. There's one that referred to as a 30-06, and there's also a 30-07, and that is no concealed carry, no open uh, carry. Businesses or, or business owners at their discretion can choose to post these ordinance outside of their business, and if they say, we don't allow carry in here, then you can't do it. So if you're going into a business and they've got one of those ordinance posted outside and you can't take your weapon in there, you're forced to leave it in your vehicle. So... You know, that kind of sets up a bad situation. You want to carry, but when you run into one of these places that you can't go into, you know, what do you do? You have to, you know, lock your gun up in your console or in your glove compartment. Well, if the bad guy knows it's in there, let's be honest, it's not going to stop them from taking it. So, like I said, what, what can you do? I think, you know, for me, I try to plan where I'm going to go and think about the places that I'm going to visit. And it's not perfect because sometimes I... You have to go someplace that I've never, you know, I haven't been before, so I don't know what ordinance is there and what ordinance is not. But certainly if I know I have to go to the post office, maybe the bank, somewhere like that, that I know I can't take my weapon inside, uh, I'm just forced to leave it at home and hope for the best. But yeah, I mean, 21% increase back to this HPD thing just this year alone. That's a huge, huge number. Uh, speaking of HPD... I want to talk a little bit about uh, Art Acevedo. That's the uh, HPD police chief. Recently, as I'm sure most of you have heard, at least in the Houston area we have, it made national news, I know, as well. Uh, 32-year-old Houston Police Department Sergeant Chris Brewster lost his life. He was killed in the line of duty while confronting a suspect in a domestic violence call. During the press conference that Chief Acevedo had, talking about Sergeant Brewster and what happened with uh, uh, with his situation, with him losing his life. Chief Acevedo thought that it would be a great time while he had cameras and microphones in front of him, had a little bit of press attention. He thought that that would be a great time to complain about gun laws. He thought it would just be the perfect opportunity. So right in the middle, I mean less than 24 hours after Sergeant Brewster is killed in the line of duty. In the same press conference, Acevedo wants to talk about gun control, wants to criticize legislators in the state of Texas and on the federal level and try to score some political points. I'll tell you what, I don't know about you guys, but that that really pissed me off. If, if you want to come out, rip on the gun laws and criticize other legislator, you, legislators because you want to earn political points, I'm fine with that. I'm all right with that. You can say whatever you want to say, but to do it in this context, in this time, I think is distasteful. I think is disrespectful and I think has no place in that conversation. In fact, I'm going to let you listen to exactly what Chief Acevedo said. Now, keep in mind, he had just finished just literally a minute earlier talking about the loss. And then he goes into this. Take a listen. I don't want to hear about how much they support law enforcement. I don't want to hear how much how, how much they care about uh, lives and the sanctity of lives. Yet, we all know in law enforcement that one of the biggest reasons that the Senate and Mitch McConnell and John Cornyn and Ted Cruz and others are not getting into a room and having a conference committee with the House and getting the Violence Against Women's Act is because the NRA doesn't like the fact that we want to take firearms out of the hands of boyfriends that abuse their girlfriends. And who killed our sergeant? A boyfriend abusing 
his girlfriend, and the fact that his mom, his father, his wife, his sisters, his friends, and ultimately the community that he laid his down his life for will be putting him to rest before Christmas because of the cowardice of the political people that we have in office. You're not a Republican, you're not a Democrat, you're not a conservative, you're not a liberal, you're not a progressive, you are an American, and American blood is being shed every day in this community, throughout this nation. And do something about it or retire. A couple of points here. Acevedo says, basically makes the point that if we had this law passed, so if Cornyn and Ted Cruz and all these other guys would get off their butts and pass this law, then that guy wouldn't have had a gun. Okay, of course he wouldn't have had a gun because criminals always follow the law. Listen, let me tell you something. That law aside, if that legislation would have been passed or not passed, it wouldn't have made any difference in this guy whatsoever because this guy from 2014 to 2017 had five arrests and five convictions, all five convictions he served jail time. Uh, in 2014, he was arrested and convicted for criminal mischief. That's a class B misdemeanor. 2015, assault on a family member causing bodily injury. He spent 70 days in the Harris County Jail. Uh, that's a class A misdemeanor. Uh, in 16, he was convicted of harassment. Sentenced to 60 days in a Brazoria County Jail. Uh, again in 2016, evading arrest. Class A misdemeanor, sentenced to 30 days in the Harris County Jail. And then in January of 2017, burglary of a vehicle, also a Class A misdemeanor. And he was sentenced to 150 days in jail. So his record alone would have prohibited him from possessing a firearm. And indeed, the firearms that he did possess, he possessed illegally. But here we go. Just like I was talking about with Chicago. Wherever this guy got the guns from, you can damn well bet he didn't go into a retail store or go to a gun show and go pass a 4473, go through the background check. So even if universal background checks were in place, obviously somebody like this is not going to go through a universal background check because he already knows he's not going to pass it. He's willing to break the law. He's not going to participate in a universal background check and yeah, it's, it's hilarious to me when lawmakers come out and say, well, you know, if, if we have a universal background check, then everybody has to, you've got to go through a background check to obtain a weapon because these guys don't. Again, because they know they're not going to pass. If they know they're not going to pass, they're either going to steal it, they're going to buy it off the street, or they're going to get somebody else to go do a straw purchase so they can obtain that weapon. They're just not going to entertain that at all. That's why universal background checks are absolutely ridiculous. A law-abiding citizen that legally possesses a weapon should be able to sell his or her property to another law-abiding citizen at his or her discretion. It's your property. You obtained it legally. You're not selling it. You're not being illegal when you're selling it. should be able to do what you want with your property. The government should have no hand in that. You can sell your vehicle if you want. You can sell your house if you want. You can sell any other personal property that you want. You can sell furniture. You can sell tools. You can sell a TV. You can sell whatever. And nobody cares. But weapons, oh no, universal background check. Uh, you know what? Why don't we do a universal background check for vehicles? How about that? If you've been convicted of a DWI or you've had a car accident in the last six months or your license has been suspended, how about we preclude you from purchasing a vehicle? Sounds pretty stupid, doesn't it? That's because it is. The responsibility lies with the individual. It's unreasonable to ask people to go through that crap. And again, I can't say it enough. It just is not going to work. This is Bullet Points 2A Talk Radio, a Bullet Points media property. All right, let's get to some good news. November NICS numbers are in. Now, the NICS is the National Instant Criminal Background Check System that we use to run 4473s for over-the-counter firearms purchases. For November 2019, 1,342,155. That's up 2.1% from the same time, November of 2018. Now, the unadjusted numbers for November 2019 are 
863. That's a 7.7% increase uh, from last November, which um, last November we had uh, 2,363,705. Now, November 2019, that unadjusted number, that is an all-time record for the month of November. That's outstanding. Now, what's unadjusted versus adjusted? Well, unadjusted includes periodic background checks for license to carry. Uh, Some states do it monthly. Some states do it a few times a year. Uh, The state of Kentucky, as an example, runs about 300,000. These also include um, uh, new checks for license to carry across the U.S. So that kind of offsets that unadjusted number. But the adjusted number is really the closest number that we have to see what's going on in the world of retail sales of firearms. Now, it's not an exact number, but it's probably the closest metric that we're going to get. You got to keep in mind that the 1,342,155 number that I mentioned, that's individual checks, but it was Black Friday in the month of November, so we know Black Friday was a, a particularly busy day. So we know with all the sales and stuff, when people come in, you would run... Maybe one check is run, but you might have a two. You might have two pistols on there, or two rifles, or a rifle and a shotgun, or a pistol and a rifle. If something's on sale, somebody's coming in buying Christmas gifts, or just taking advantage of a good deal, there would only be one check, but multiple weapons sold. And the way that this data is compiled, it doesn't account for multiple weapon sales. So that number, that adjusted number, that 1.342 million is in reality higher than that because we know a good percentage of those were were multiple sales. Also, another thing that we have to keep in mind when we're talking about uh, sales numbers of firearms, uh, there's 25 states currently that allow a qualifying permit in place of an ICS background check. Now, Texas is one of them. You Texas residents listening, you know if you've got a license to carry, a valid license to carry, and you go into a gun store to fill out your 4473, you just have to present your driver's license and your valid license to carry information, and that serves in place of running a background check. So those numbers are also not included. Now, something to take note of, this is really, I found this very interesting. Recently, the states of Alabama and Minnesota rescinded the qualifying permit to buy. So in other words, everyone has to go through the 4473, the NICS background check. So you can't use your LTC in Alabama or Minnesota to buy. So since they've stopped doing that, we get a more accurate reflection in these states of what's really going on. Now, as an example, in Alabama, they stopped doing the permit checks in uh, July, July 22nd of 2019. And so far in Alabama, they're up 122.4%. That's an additional 27,959 checks. Minnesota's up 29.2% over the same period, year over year. That just goes to show you how many folks were coming in buying weapons using their LTC as a qualifier versus going through background checks. But if we take all those numbers and look at them as a, you know, kind of a broad brush statement on the state of the gun industry, it's looking pretty good. Uh, November is the either seventh or eighth eighth month in a row. I can't remember where Nick's numbers have gone up year over year. So it keeps going up. So really, folks are out there taking advantage of sales. They're exercising their Second Amendment rights. And that's something good. That's something we all like to see. So you guys keep it up. This is Bullet Points 2A Talk Radio, brought to you by the United States Gun Club. Hey, real quick, I want to give a shout out to everybody at the United States Gun Club. Uh, If you're not a member, you should get over there and join that group today right now Uh, they're on facebook they're real easy to find united states gun club there's no fee to join just go over there and send a request to get in with those guys and i'll tell you something united states gun club the membership is growing by leaps and bounds it is unbelievable their membership is soaring so congratulations to everybody that's already a member if you're not get over there and get signed up the goal at the united states gun club is to really organize Second Amendment. And I've said it on this show before, 
that when it comes to our side, the Second Amendment side, the pro-gun side, we run into an issue because unlike the left, unlike the anti-gun side, let's step back and look at their side for just a second. And I want you guys to be objective. If you hear an anti-gun message, no matter who it comes from, if it's somebody reporting in the media, if it's a politician, if it's somebody from Moms Demand Action, or Every Town for Gun Safety, or just some talking head on television, or something on social media, everything that you see is the exact same argument. It's the same messaging, it's the same talking points, it's consistent, it's relentless, and they just pound us with it, and that's why they're winning. Now from our side, from the pro-gun side, let's be honest about it. Again, let's look objectively, let's be honest, on our side of the fight, we're not as in step, we don't have that lockstep messaging, that on point momentum that they have. And that's why a lot of times we're getting ran over in this fight. Because for so many people, and I see people out there, listen, I'm not I'm not trying to beat you guys up. If you support the Second Amendment, I'm I'm all for it. I'm on your side. All I'm saying is we need to refine our message a little bit. Putting a Facebook meme up and saying what part of shall not be infringed do you not understand? You're never going to win an argument with the other side based on that message. If you go out and you want to protest anti-Second Amendment legislation, if you're out there with an AR-15 on your back and a Mullen Labe shirt, you're doing yourself a disservice. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the media is out there. They're already against you. As soon as they see you out there, they're going to take a picture of you. They're going to put you all over the news. And they're going to say, look, there's a guy with a fully semi-automatic weapon of war running around. That's who you should be afraid of. This is why we need this laws because of that guy right there. Don't be that guy. Listen, if you're going to get out and you're going to get the message out, here's what you need to do. You need to educate yourself. You need to be able to talk from a place of respect. You need to communicate with the other side and you're not going to win every argument. Some people are not willing to listen. And if they're not willing to listen, move on to the next person. And remember, our job as Second Amendment supporters, we have to shift our messaging. We can't just point to the Constitution all the time and say, look, there it is, end of the argument. While I would agree, yeah, that should be true, but you're not going to win that way. You're just not. So again, education is your friend. And when you're talking to somebody else, the reason that they don't want guns, and I'm not talking about politicians. For politicians, it's a control thing. Let's be honest. It's just a control thing. They want power. They want to be able to create a problem. They want to be the cure for the problem. The catch is you got to vote for them. You got to keep them in office so they can keep saving you. Just like climate change. Same thing. Anyway, so back to the gun control thing. If you're talking to the mom on the street, because... You know, there's some of us that are gun people and there's some of us that are anti-gun people, but there's a large portion of the population that is just in the middle. They don't love guns. They don't hate guns. They don't know about guns. They weren't around guns when they were little. They don't have weapons in the house. It's just not their thing. And that's fine. I'm fine with that. But when that suburban soccer mom that I'm talking about, when that uneducated person sees a talking head come on TV and say fully automatic, semi-automatic, weapon of war, talking all kinds of nonsense, those people don't know any better. You and I are sitting laughing our asses off about it because it's ridiculous. But we have to enter in to intelligent conversations with these people. We have to take the fear away from the uninformed. That's the only way that we're going to win. Because as long as we let politicians and talking heads and anti-gun groups, as long as we let these folks continue to spew ignorance to people without us going in and trying to educate these folks, we're always going to be one step behind. We're never going to win because we're always playing catch up. We have to get on message, on point. We have to be forward thinking and we have to be unified. Listen, it doesn't matter what you do with the weapon. If you collect, if you hunt, if you long range shoot, 
if you skeet shoot, if you go to the range occasionally, if you carry every day, or if you're freaking John Wick, it does not matter. All of those are Second Amendment rights. How you and I exercise our Second Amendment right is up to us, but we can't have that taken away from us. We can't have that trample on and just pointing and saying, don't trample on my Second Amendment rights because it's in the Constitution. They're not going to go, oh, okay, sorry about that. It's never going to work like that. It's never going to happen. So we really need to get on message. We really need to educate ourselves. And I'll tell you what, if you want to get educated, if you really want to know about crime statistics and what's going on, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, NSSF.org, is a good place to start. Also, the Crime Research Foundation, that's they're at crimeresearch.org. That's probably one of the best places to get information. Also, another report you can look at is the from the FBI, the FBI's Unified Crime Report. A good example is Every Town for Gun Safety and Mothers Demand Action. Remember when Beto O'Rourke Uh, Robert Francis O'Rourke. You know, every commercial I would see when Beto was talking about anti-gun violence, he would always say it's 40,000 people a year are killed from gun violence. He would say 40,000 people die every year from gun violence. Well, it's not every year. It was actually in 2017 was what he was talking about. And he was talking about the numbers from the CDC, which were a little less than 40,000. I think it was 39,577 if uh, memory serves. But uh, that's true. Uh, about 40,000 people did lose their life that year. But if we take away suicides, unintended, uh, undetermined, and lawful uses, we get almost 70% of those gun violence deaths. And I don't think suicide is gun violence. It's certainly a violent way to end your life, but it's not gun violence. Violence is a human trait. It's not the trait of an inanimate object. You can't point to anything and say that that thing is violent. You can point to a person and say that that individual is violent. And a violent individual with a gun is a problem. And that's where all this comes from. But we need to make sure that we have that level of education at our disposal, that we know about these numbers. Not only that we know about it, but we can point to where it comes from. You know, the FBI's Unified Crime Report is available to everybody. And I want to tell you, if you're like me, you'll spend an entire day rolling through that report. It's just, it's amazing. And it's available to anybody. I mean, just look it up. FBI Unified Crime Report. It's out there. Real easy to go through. You're having a conversation with somebody and you're attempting to ease their fears about, you know, what an AR-15 really is what it takes to carry a handgun, how the background check system works, what violent crime, what violent homicides really are, and how these numbers are spun by anti-gun groups. When you're able to have those types of conversations with people, I mean, for one, you're not adversarial because you're not really arguing with them. You're just trying to teach them. And I think that's what we need to do. So I urge you guys to get out and uh, check out these different organizations, check out these different reports, look around, you got a little bit of spare time, check it out, absorb it, and there's a lot of different things that you can put together, a lot of good resources out there. And again, you know, when you're having a conversation with somebody, it's not a study that somebody did, it's the FBI. They're the ones in charge, ultimately, of keeping track of crime statistics here in the United States. So that's kind of the end of the line right there as far as stats goes. It's not something randomly collected number that some research group made up. It's the real deal. So pick your battles carefully, and you're not going to win. You're not going to sit down in an hour or 30 minutes and convince somebody that they ought to be a a gun owner. But again, that's not what we're trying to do. I cannot say that enough. It's not what we're trying to do. Just a slow, steady stream of education. We have to be respectful. We have to be accurate. And we have to be willing to listen because I, we have to understand too, put yourself in the, in those people's shoes. They're going to be afraid because they're ignorant, because they're uninformed, because they don't know. And for people like that out there, perception is reality. So if they think your AR-15 is fully automatic because that's what they heard or that's what they saw in a movie, then for them, that's what it really is. Absolutely, we know better. 
But again, we've got to have those conversations with people. That's the only way that we are going to win this fight. So I urge you to do that. So stay with me on this and let's let's keep it moving, man. Let's let's keep it going. I'm inspired by the folks that I see out there uh, moving toward a more centrist message. And I hope that we can keep that up. Uh, that makes me feel good about Second Amendment going forward. But we've got a lot, we've got a lot of battles to fight. And I'll tell you uh, something else. Speaking of fighting battles, uh, if you were wanting to support the Second Amendment, there's a, a couple of good groups out there that are not the NRA. And I want to mention those. Uh, Gun Owners of America is one. They do really, really good work. You can find them at gunowners.org. Also, the Second Amendment Foundation is another great organization. They've been around for a long time. Uh, they're always in the trenches, battling it out in court all over the United States. And you can find out what's going on with both these organizations, what kind of cases they've got going on, what kind of pending legislation is coming up, and how you can help. So check out Second Amendment Foundation at saf.org. Also, Gun Owners of America at gunowners.org. Check those guys out and give them your support because the Second Amendment needs your support now more than ever. All right, now here's a report that came out that I want to share with you. This was from the National Shooting Sports Foundation, the NSSF, and they have manufacturing data that they've recently published. These numbers are just absolutely staggering, so I'm going to see if I can get to all of them. So this is based... So this report is, it comes from data based on the ATF's annual firearms manufacturing and exporting report. The estimated number of firearms in civilian population from 1986 to 2018 is 422.9 million. Estimated population in the United States right now is 329 million. So you could give a gun to everybody and there would be damn near a million of them still left in a pile. A million. So you got about 330 million people in the United States and about 423 million guns. That is insane. When it comes to the modern sporting rifle, aka the AR-15, the estimated number of modern sporting rifles in private ownership today is 17,740,000. That's, that's, that's 17 and a half million AR-15s out there. That's just a, yeah, that's an unbelievable number. That is just a staggering number, 17.7 million. And in fact, more than half, 54% of all rifles produced in 2017 were modern sporting rifles. So on the AR-15 platform, that's crazy. 54% of all the rifles manufactured in 2017 were AR-15s. In 2017, there were 7,901,218 total firearms produced and imported. Of that number, 4,411,923 were pistols, 2,821,945 were rifles, and 667,350 were shotguns. So firearms and ammunition manufacturing, or the industry as a whole, accounted for nearly 12,000 employees, and it produced $4.1 billion dollars in shipped goods in the year 2017. Have you ever wondered uh, how much ammo is produced? Yet 422 million guns. So I'm gonna give you a second. How many rounds of ammo do you think were produced? It's a number that I never would have guessed, I'll be honest with you. An estimated 8.1 billion, that's billion with the B, 8.1 billion rounds of all calibers and gauges were produced in 2018 for the United States market. Wow, 8.1 billion. So listen, I wanna to touch on one more thing, back to my statement about uh, education. So one of the things that we hear is more guns is more violence. We need to get guns off the streets because that's gonna reduce violence. So is that true? Well, according to this latest report, no. So in this particular time period, in the last 25 years, so if we run this from 1993 to 2017, violent crime has, has decreased in the past 25 years by 48%. Also, 
Unintentional firearm-related fatalities have declined by 68%. So violent crime is down almost 50%. Accidents are down almost 70%. While we've got 422 million guns and 8.1 billion rounds of uh, ammo in circulation. That's something to think about right there. That's a lot of numbers. whole lot of numbers, but that's incredible. This is Bullet Points 2A Talk Radio. A Bullet Points media property brought to you by the United States Gun Club. Hey, I'll tell you about Michael Bloomberg. Everybody knows Michael Bloomberg. He's kind of the godfather of gun control. He funds uh, organizations like Moms Demand Action and Every Town for Gun Safety. These just full of crap organizations. They keep putting out this absolute garbage when it comes to gun control. But, you know, Michael Bloomberg's got a lot of money. And he likes to throw money at problems. He threw a bunch of money at the state of Virginia and managed to turn it from red to blue. So I think this is something that we need to be concerned with. I don't think Bloomberg has a chance in hell of winning the election. But the bad news is he's got enough money to hang in there for as long as he wants to. Even if he has no chance of winning, he could still financially support himself to stay in. And as long as he's in it, He's going to get a national platform to talk about this gun control nonsense. And again, like I said in the early segment, this is a fear thing. You're scaring people. You're telling people we need this, we need that, or we're all going to die. So I want to go over these uh, these talking points that he has real quick. And this is something that we've all heard before. He's not not too different on this stuff. Uh, one thing he wants to do is reinstate the federal ban on assault weapons and high capacity magazine. Magazines. He's talking about the Clinton era assault weapons ban, which did nothing to affect violence. Uh, violence actually was going down already uh, before the assault weapons ban took place and continued to decline during the assault weapons ban as well as after the assault weapons ban. And it's still in decline even all the way up into uh, 2019. So that's going to do nothing. Uh, the other thing he wants to do is require every gun buyer to obtain a permit before making a purchase. Now, he's not talking about a background check. He's talking about like the state of Illinois has a firearms ownership ID card. So you've got to go through this extensive background check to get your little firearms license thing. Then you have to go through another background check to be able to buy the firearm. Just dumb. And I've heard him say, well, we have to have a license to drive a car. Okay, yeah, because that's the same thing. No, it's not. Another dumb idea. It's just a way to regulate people. It's just a way to know who's buying a gun and who's not and when they are and when they're not. They just want to be able to, this is, I'm telling you, I hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist. This is one of those roundabout inroads towards the possibility of confiscation or tighter reins on gun control and gun limits. Because when you put that firearms ownership ID card in place as a controllable metric that goes in between law-abiding citizens and the purchase of a firearm, and you can control that pathway from one to the other, that puts the government in more control by way of Michael Bloomberg being president. And, you know, that that's going to that's not going to be a good thing at all. Not going to be a good thing at all. Uh, he wants to require point of sale background checks on all purchases. And he wants to close the gun show loophole. That's a big way to say universal background checks. Again, universal background checks are never going to work. Let me tell you something about universal background checks. Now, this is something everybody needs to listen to. The only way to do a universal background check, because the idea is every time a gun is sold, you have to do a universal background check. Well, if you've ever bought a used gun in your life, the government doesn't know you have that weapon. And honestly, it's none of their business. So to do universal background checks, you would necessarily have to know every gun that every person had everywhere in America. So all 422 million guns, you would have to say, I've got these eight, this guy's got those 10 guns, this guy's got these 15 guns over here, two guns over here. Everybody would have to report what they have 
Otherwise, there's no way to track the movement. If they don't know you have it, they're never going to know you sold it. If you pass universal background checks, I guarantee you that's the next thing that's going to come out of their mouth. And that's that's none of their business at all. Universal background checks is BS. All right. The other thing he wants to do, institute a new age limit of 21 for those that want to purchase a firearm. So that's any firearm. He wants a federal limit of 21. Currently, it's 18 for a long gun and it is 21 for a pistol. I think if you can vote at 18, if you can join the military at 18, I think you should probably have, be able to get a handgun or a long gun at 18. Listen, as long as you can pass the background check, but he wants everybody, he wants it all to be 21. I don't know why he doesn't really explain what he thinks is going to happen. You know, if you're going to do this, if this is the metric we're going to use, let's just say for the sake of argument that I agree with this, and I absolutely do not, but let's say that I do. If he wants to institute that new age limit of 21 to buy a firearm, then he would have to move up the age to join the military to 21, because guess what you get to use in the military? Firearms. All right, another thing he wants to do, he wants to put a 48-hour waiting period on all purchases. So after you are approved, so you're... (laughs) So you go in, you do your universal background check, uh, you're 21 to buy a long gun, you've got your firearms ownership ID card already, and you go in and you fill out your 4473 and you get approved and they tell you, "Mm, yeah, sorry, you gotta wait another two days before you come pick it up. Because, yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know what that's about. Uh, I've heard some proponents of this refer to it as a cool down period. I think they're kind of making the assumption that people that go and buy a firearm are intent with killing someone with it as soon as they leave the store. Just not true. Just a ridiculous notion. Uh, the the 48-hour waiting period, just stupid. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Now, here's the big one. He wants to institute a federal red flag laws. These emergency risk protection orders. He wants to deny permits to quote troubled persons who pose a danger to themselves or others. End quote. Uh, red flag laws are an absolutely terrible, terrible idea. Emergency risk protection orders are horrible, and I'm going to tell you why. This, pre, this notion of pre-crime that we have, that we could somehow predict violence, especially violence when it comes to the use of a firearm. Illinois has red flag laws, and I bet you not one of the nearly 2,600 people that have caught a bullet this year, why didn't anybody know that crap was going to happen? I'll tell you why, because it doesn't freaking work. It doesn't work at all. It, it is completely unnecessary. There's already metrics in place that police departments can use to take weapons from somebody if they're a danger to themselves or others. This is going to get way out of hand. It already has. There's I, there's so many stories across the U.S., especially coming out of Florida. There's been a couple in Florida where red flag laws have gotten people in, in a big pinch. The people that are completely innocent, but they're stuck under the onus of these stupid red flag laws. Another thing he wants to do is uh, he wants to ban all guns in schools, colleges, and universities except for law enforcement. So no more campus carry. Can't have that. If you are a school district out there that allows teachers to be trained and armed, that would end. So the kids have absolutely no protection whatsoever you want to set up a problem, take away what little protection our children have now, that's going to go bad. That's going to go real bad. I I don't understand the rationale of this. You can kind of see how the other side thinks that it's going to work. You can understand their rationale. As flawed as it may be, you can understand it. But to say that we are going to eliminate all weapons in all schools colleges and universities that just sets up a target rich environment for the next school shooter that's going to go out there and wants to take his emotional distress out on our kids that's exactly what that's going to do because that little plastic sign hanging out front that says gun-free zone i promise you 
It's not going to stop anybody. Michael Bloomberg, you ought to be red flagged just for suggesting that because that's nuts. That's crazy. I think you're a danger to yourself and definitely a danger to others if you put this law in place. All right. Yeah, a little sarcasm there, but golly, that's just dumb. That is just dumb. All right. Another one that he wants to do is he wants to get rid of the law that gives gun makers and gun dealers immunity from lawsuits. Now, what he's talking about, he's talking about PLACA, P-L-C-A-A. That is the Provision for Lawful Commerce in Arms Act. And that says that essentially a you know gun manufacturer can't be sued for the actions of a third party. And he wants to eliminate that. And you know why he's doing that, because he wants gun manufacturers to be sued into the dirt or be so tied up with legal expenses, even if they don't win, if they got lawsuit after lawsuit. So think about this. Every time somebody gets shot and killed anywhere in the United States, that family could, in theory, go and sue the manufacturer that made that gun. He wants to eliminate that provision so manufacturers could be held responsible. Uh, I wonder if he's going to do it for automobile manufacturers. You know, if you... If I sold my truck and somebody went out and got drunk and ran into someone else and killed them, I mean, surely that's got to be, it's got to be Ford's fault, right? Yeah, it would have to be because they made the truck. I mean, they weren't driving it. They weren't drinking. They didn't provide the alcohol. They didn't own the bar, but they made the truck. So it's got to be their fault, right? Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, the more I think about that, Michael Bloomberg is absolutely right. And he's out of his damn mind is what he is. That's that's another one of those things. Absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. So Michael Bloomberg, watch out. He's coming and he's bringing his wallet. So we got to stay on top of this, man, because that guy, guy's a little bit dangerous only because he has money and a platform and uh, he's he's hardcore anti-gun. So we really got to keep our eyes out and watch this guy. Bullet Points is brought to you by the United States Gun Club. This is Bullet Points 2A Talk Radio, a Bullet Points media property. Thanks for staying with us. Got a few more things to cover before we wrap up the show real quick. I want to get out to Virginia. I talked about Virginia earlier and Michael Bloomberg dumping a bunch of money in there and turning the legislature from red to blue. So we got Ralph Northam of infanticide and blackface fame out there. He's the governor. And then you've got a Democrat majority House, a Democrat majority Senate. You add all that together and you sprinkle a little bit of Bloomberg money in there with a touch of mom's demand action and boom, you got gun control laws. So here they come. They're just chomping at the bits, man. They can't wait to get in there and put all this crazy gun control junk out there. Turns out that there are a lot of counties and independent cities out there. And for those of you not in the Commonwealth of Virginia, there are 38 independent cities out there that are the equivalent to a county. There's a total of 95 counties and 38 independent cities. And the vast majority of these have declared themselves sanctuary counties. Um, There's a whole bunch of them, and they're growing literally, literally by the week. So interestingly, uh, Sheriff Scott Jenkins, he's a sheriff of Culpeper County, uh, last month, he was elected to his third term, and he, uh, Scott Jenkins, Sheriff, Sheriff Jenkins, had an interesting statement, and I thought this was, I thought this was very bold. I, I like this. He first he came out and said that if there were some anti two A laws passed in the state of Virginia that affected the citizens of his county, that he would not would not violate his oath of office by declining to enforce those laws. But what he did say was he would deputize thousands of auxiliary deputies in Culpeper County in order to make their possession of firearms legal because there's almost always a carve-out in these anti-Second Amendment laws for law enforcement personnel. So he's going to go out, auxiliary deputies, start deputizing folks. (laughs) It's just be great. This is the best idea I've seen, man. This guy, this guy is all about it. He says, quote, if the legislature decides to restrict certain weapons, I feel harm our community. 
I will swear in thousands of auxiliary deputies in Culpeper. There's no limit to the number of people I can swear in, he added. I'll tell you what, Sheriff Scott Jenkins of Culpeper County out there in Virginia, you, sir, are a certified badass. I like it. I like it. That's great because, uh, you know, he he's a good guy. He says, listen, I'm not going to. I'm not going to violate my oath, but at the same time, if there is an avenue at my disposal that I can protect the citizens of my county and their Second Amendment rights, if I feel like they're getting ran over, I'm going to take every opportunity that I can to do that. And good for him. Good for him. More people in office, more elected officials need to stand up. And they're going to do that if we as a community give them our voice and ask them to support us. Every good citizen in the United States gets a vote. We get to vote for president. We get to vote for our senators, our representatives on the federal level, our governor, our lieutenant governor, our attorney general, representatives at the state level, our state senators, our local city councilmen, our mayors, our school board members, on and on and on. We get to vote for all of these people. We need to make sure that our vote counts because ultimately the vote and the right to vote and the privilege to control and influence who represents us in government is singularly more powerful than any weapon you can buy. The power to vote is the ultimate power. And as a Second Amendment movement, We need to make sure that we vote often. We need to make sure that we support the right candidates and get out there and do our civic duty and take advantage of our privilege to put the folks in office that we think represent our wants and needs best. That's what we need to do. That's another part of the movement. So I encourage you guys to do that. That's going to wrap it up for Bullet Points to a Talk Radio today. I want to thank you guys for being with us. A big thanks to the United States Gun Club for their support. Also, theguncleaners.com. Check them out when you get a chance. Great, great folks over there. And we'll see you next week with another episode of Bullet Points to a Talk Radio. Until then, be armed, be smart, and be safe. We'll see you next week. Bullet Points to a Talk Radio. A Bullet Points media property.